It's really good to be here this morning to see to see some old friends or uh, maybe I should say friends of long standing uh, and to see so many new faces. I know you've had seven consecutive sermons on the book of Ruth and this will make eight. This may be you may be participating in a world's record here. I've listened to all seven sermons online. They've all been good. You might think that this series has squeezed about as much of the juice as is possible out of these, it's just four pages of scripture, but that's unlikely. My intention, however, today is to squeeze no longer but instead to sort of blend things together uh, and to give you one last taste of the fruit of this really wonderful story. Ruth might be short, but it is sweet. It's something we can taste and see that the Lord is good. So if you can, remember back several weeks to the situation at the beginning of this story. A man named Elimelech, he's an Israelite whose hometown is Bethlehem of Judea in the Promised Land. It's the land chosen for the people of the Lord. If you're an Israelite, this is the place to live. If things get tough living in Israel, hang in there. The Lord is with you. This is a chosen land for a chosen people. And as the story unfolds, things do get tough. There's a famine, and under that kind of stress, Elimelech comes up with a bright idea. He takes matters into his own hands and hauls his wife Naomi and their two sons off to the country of Moab because he's heard rumors that the economy there is supposedly better. But really, Moab? Moab, that bitter enemy of Israel? Life lived in Moab is very, very different. Temple prostitution, fertility cults, child sacrifice, re religious practices that are horrifying to the people of God. Whatever the difficulties to leave Israel and immigrate to Moab is in the opinion of scripture, just a terrible idea. And it turns out to be just that. Within a few years, Elimelech dies, and then the two sons who had married Moabite wives both have untimely deaths. And Naomi is left alone. She's far from home. Her life has become a disaster. She is very vulnerable. She's a stranger in a strange land what a miserable mess. 
She is, as it were, an abandoned woman with no male protector. And she is a foreigner. Things will not go well for her there. Her prospects are dismal and, and somewhat frightening. And, and even if she were to return to Israel, Naomi well knows that her existence as a widow would be hard and at best a subsistence on charity. It would not be a happy homecoming. Nevertheless, Naomi decides if her fate is to live and die in misery, let it at least be in the promised land. And it seems at first as if Ruth and Orpah, her daughters-in-law, are both going to go with her. But, but Naomi advises them, no, return each of you to your mother's house. You are young, and may the Lord grant you a husband and a home. They weep together. One of them, Orpah, at last kisses her mother-in-law goodbye and returns to Moab. But the other one, Ruth, clings to Naomi, saying these famous words. Entreat me not to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. That's the first page of the book of Ruth. And right from that opening page, as we, as we read our way through, we see this is actually a story about love. Ruth and Orpah, the Moabites, have come to love Naomi, an Israelite woman. There's this strange goodness about Naomi. The three of them have shared some very hard things in life together. But these have strengthened, not damaged, their relationships. And clearly, the person of Naomi has made a deep impression on her daughters-in-law. Perhaps it was her character, perhaps her inner strength, her kindness to them. The story does not tell us. But what we do know is that we are hearing about a woman of the people of God. And she is somehow different and has somehow won the hearts of two young heathen women. Naomi's gracious counsel to them both is to return to their families. And Orpah obediently listens to reason 
what Naomi says to her really does make sense. And so with sadness, <clears throat> she turns back to try again a new life in Moab. Ruth, however, does not listen to reason. She is, in fact, unreasonable. She clings to Naomi and will not let her go. For the heart has reasons that reason knows not of. God's goodness has a way of entering human hearts and Ruth's heart has somehow been touched by God in her relationship with one of God's people. So look at what is happening here. A thousand years before Jesus, Ruth lives out one of his greatest, most unreasonable teachings. Greater love has no one than this, that they give up their life for their friends. And this is precisely what Ruth intends to do, come what may, no matter what. This unreasonable love is a very, very great goodness. And so we discover as we read all the way through this story that God blesses this goodness Naomi's goodness, Ruth's goodness, and then the goodness of Boaz, which comes later in the story. For goodness has been God's design from the beginning. Goodness is the fuel that he produces that makes human lives run best. As we read all the way through the Old and New Testaments, Goodness is the primary driver, the primary goal, and the chosen method of human life. Goodness as chesed, loving kindness. Goodness as mercy. Goodness as courage. Goodness as redemption. The giving up of one's life for those who need life. Goodness is how God reveals himself to the human race. And scripture is adamant that the greatest of all human goodness is a man or a woman who knows and loves God. In the Old Testament, for example, David, who was a man after God's own heart. And fully and finally in the New Testament, in Jesus. God's beloved son in whom he was well pleased. So this little story is a love story from beginning to end. But it is not a hallmark love story. All the characters are not beautiful. Everything is not clean and crisp. There, there's real grief here, real abandonment, real evil is lurking, and there is real desolation. These are 
real people and they have real difficulties. But Israel's God, our God, is not put off by the messiness of human reality. He will work with us. He can clean us up. And he can clean up after us. Now the gospel according to Hallmark always promises you a happy ending. That is, if you think that a last-minute unlikely wedding somehow is the be-all and end-all of human existence. But it promises you a happy ending. The, Christmas, the Christian gospel is not about happy moments that pass away. It is about goodness that continues. It is about what is real, and it is about what is right. It is about love, that is true, but it's about a greater love. It's about the kind of love that willingly gives over life for the sake of those who need to receive life. It is about an unreasonable love. In biblical terms, redemptive love. Now, having slammed the Hallmark Channel, I'm a little embarrassed to remind you that this story a couple of weeks ago decidedly took a romantic turn. And then, of course, I have to confess, it does have a happy ending. Ruth and Boaz meet and are clearly attracted to one another. And Mike, you have to admit that even if she got a little ahead of God, Naomi, in her not-so-subtle way, turns out to be a pretty effective matchmaker. And then Boaz rises to the occasion, outwitting his rival in a public confrontation and winning Ruth's hand. It's a great story. And then they marry. And here, the Hallmark remake would end, but not the biblical original. So Boaz took Ruth, chapter 4, verse 13, and she became his wife. And in the fullness of time, they have a son born in the little town of Bethlehem. It's very interesting. Naomi becomes the baby boy's nurse. And the women of Bethlehem seem to have fallen in love with this child. They begin to call him Obed, Obed, which in Hebrew means Worshiping and serving God. And her neighbors say to Naomi, Oh, that little Obed, he's a doozer. Do you know that word? 
It's not from the Hebrew. But in fact, it means just the opposite of Poloni Almoni. It means that this child is extraordinary, unique, bubbling over with life. And that is what the women of Bethlehem meant, even if it's not exactly how they said it. This child, they said to Naomi, shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you even than seven sons, has given birth to him. And, oh my, he's a doozer. So, even that is not the end of the story. The impact of this love continues throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament and through the church, even to this very day. For as we know, Obed grew up to become the father of Jesse, who grew up to become the father of David, the great king of Israel, of whose line was born Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born in Bethlehem, who is called Christ, who was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. You've waited a long time for this, but how is that for a happy ending? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our